I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast, your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, but I would never do it without my great and dear friend here in Newport Beach, California. Round of applause for Mr. Sean Latimer. Love the intro. Hello, hello. Hello, welcome. Hey, um, if you think we sound rushed on this podcast, because we're going to be rushed. Sean's got a meeting in 30 minutes, and I told him, hey, I really need you, because it's uh, just not as fun solo. We got things to do. Yeah, let's get down to business. (laughs) So I wrote an article called uh, On the Contrary, um, and kind of here's the intro. There's that idea that if there's a certain car that you want, um, you went online, you designed it, you picked the color, the make, the model, and then all of a sudden on your drive home, you see 10 of those cars. Uh, you see them on the highway. You see them in the parking garage. You see them in the neighborhood. Uh, have you experienced this? Somewhat. Oh, you're resistant. You haven't no, experienced this. No, no, no. I, I have. I have. Because uh, I think it's also because it's something you're thinking about. And so then it's more top of mind. You notice it more. Which you nailed it. So, but what they call, there's a, there's a, there's a, a name for the phenomenon. I don't know how to pronounce it and don't know what it is, but like what you often hear the bias called, it's the frequency illusion. Mm. So it's like, it has this impact on you that, um, once you became aware of it, um, you start to notice it a lot more. Right. That makes sense. The way that I think it impacts, uh, our investors or our clients is there's so much talk about recession right now. Mm-hmm. Now it's not exactly the frequency illusion because there is a lot of talk. But what I'm trying to argue is that that talk amplifies itself. So you've been in meetings, I've been in meetings, like a lot of them in the last couple of weeks. And I feel like the headlines are recession. I get that. But then people are bringing data points from everywhere. You know, I went to my barber last week and this happened. <laughs> I went to my butcher and this happened. And it's creating this illusion for people where they're kind of creating their own narrative about what they should be fearful about and what i'm it's really hard as an invest uh, an advisor is i'm trying to help people like hey can we try to peel back that onion like tell me a little bit more about what exactly you're afraid of well that's hard too because some of it may be anecdotal which is just their opinion or the way they're perceiving things happening or what's even harder at times is when anytime you have an opinion on something and if you try to google it you'll find someone who agrees with you even if you're both wrong And so if you think, uh, I'll make up a random data point, but if you think that the price of beef is going to double in the next 12 months and you Google that, I promise you right now, if we did it, I bet we can find an article that explains why it's going to double in the next 12 months. And then they bring that to you and they say, look, this is like evidence that my gut feeling is true. And this is what's happening. Yeah. I've had on that, on that note though, and I'm going to ask you, I've had, uh, I do a lot of meetings on zoom. Mm-hmm. But lately, I've had a lot of in-person meetings. I do a lot of meetings on Zoom because we serve clients all over the country, right? Right. Uh, but I've had a lot of in-person meetings. And when we get into this topic of recession or whatever you want to put under that category, I literally, and I'm thinking of a, a recent meeting, like I see the demeanor change. I see like a burden on somebody's shoulder. And I see like a level of anxiety. And then it makes me really sensitive because I'm like, Eesh, I don't want to I don't want to poke that bear, no yeah. pun intended. Um, but I'm like, this is like paralyzing this person. And, and again, hopefully I'm not like Pollyannish or just like I, I have like rose-colored glasses. I just don't see it that way. Um, I don't have those same fears. And I feel like I'm coming to the table with 
a, a greater breadth of knowledge on the topic just because I live in it, not not because of intelligence. So arrogant. Um, arrogant. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it is, you know, maybe it's like a weird way of like PTSD where they're like, oh, recession's coming again. I remember going through this last time and they just assume that it's going to be like the financial crisis or, you know, dot com or, you know, the, those wounds maybe are just about to be opened back up. So I agree. There, There is the PTSD part. And um, I don't think we should ever handle it lightly for people where it like threatens their employment or, or, or different things like that. Um, but a lot of folks that I'm thinking of are retirees. And I'm thinking, well, we signed up for volatility. Like right. we, we, we are going to experience that. Um, and really that is kind of the, the, the entry price if we want to get the type of returns that your financial plan needs. I'm thinking people, again, they, they take on that burden more than it need be. And again, I'm spending a lot of time here and I spent a fair amount of time on the intro, but really what the article was about is I wanted to zoom in on contrarian indicators um, I chose three indicators, and what I mean by contrarian is um, the herd is going one way, mm-hmm. um, and if, if me and you are saying, hey, I don't really have that same burden or anxiety, um, we are contrarians right now in a sense. So I was trying to encourage people, rather than the headline news you look at, let's look at some of those contrarian indicators, and I'll just give the answer to the test. Most of those contrarian indicators that we study here at the Bonson Group and we look at, they're pretty neutral right now. Um, they're not uh, screaming that this is an amazing once in a life opportunity. Uh, and they're also not screaming that things are uh, euphoric or expensive. Um, it's pretty middle of the road right now. But that is not the general attitude I'm seeing out there. Yeah, it is interesting too, because uh, investors of all ages and, and timelines I hear often people say, oh, yeah, you know, I've been an investor for years, not concerned, markets go up and down, totally comfortable. And those same investors, uh, you know, when you see a correction of 5%, they're also one of the first ones to call me with, hey, you know, well, what's the plan? What are we doing? I'm really nervous. And, and, I, and I sit there and they're like, well, I'm not like that nervous, but, you know, talk to me. What, what should I do? And it, it kind of makes me look at it as some of these indicators. I wonder if they become skewed because, like you mentioned, markets at euphoria are typically an indicator of a uh, pullback, right? Tops, yeah. Tops, yeah. you know, now you look at the bottom. But now you have more people who maybe if they – where do they get that information? Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, so we'll just – I called this section from the horse's mouth because I'm like, this is the most pure data, right? Uh, and again, I'm not arguing that this is perfect. I don't think you should ever take one data point and make a conclusion. Um, but holding all these data points together – can probably give you context. And what you'll learn, uh, this is the last little disclaimer I'll give, but what you can learn with a lot of these things is they're not meant to be actionable around timing, but they are meant to give you a general idea of what the lay of the land is. So we've got that out there. We're not using these as a mechanism of when to turn the light switch on and off. So the American Association of Individual Investors is the American Association of Individual Investors. Um, they put out a survey weekly, um, and they're, I actually have never taken the survey, but I think it's fairly simple of just concluding, uh, is this individual investor bullish about the next six months, neutral or bearish? 
and again, for our listeners, uh, a fun little uh, thing that you might not know, uh, bullish means that you think the market's going to go up. Why? Because uh, when a bull attacks, the horns go up, right? Um, when a bear attacks, claw comes down. So bearishness is about going down and bull is about going up. You're smiling. Did you know that? I knew the bull bear scenarios did not know it was the, reasoning. the horns of the claws. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So fun <laughs> little uh, anecdote. Um, so again, the survey... Next six months, I think it comes out weekly. I don't. I think Thursday. Um, what do you think um, the market's going to do? Okay, there's enough of a sample size here. That's how statistics work, uh, where they can say, "Oh, this gives us a, a general idea of what sentiment is right now." Now, I highlighted in the article where is the peak bullishness at the peak of the tech bubble. Where is one of the deepest like where there is no bulls around it's like march of 2009 at the recovery point so my point here was following the herd at the extremes don't really help you um sean's looking close at the article to see the arrows but it's pretty I, small <laughs> yeah i promise you uh hopefully you can read you can see the little green arrows no i was more looking at what the last couple of years looked like yeah, so right now, um, and you can go to the website, uh, you can just Google it, it's pretty easy to find. Um, those readings right now are neutral. Um, the peak bearishness, uh, again, that's so weird for me to say it this way, but the peak bearishness, um, I think was at the end of April. Um, and what we do know is that July, the month we sit in right now, has been one of the best performing months uh, in a long time. So again, if you look at the uh, this sentiment survey, what you're going to start to find is that as the herd sways to one end of this pendulum, the markets are usually reacting in an opposite fashion. I just have to remind our listeners, I am not saying that you should ever use this as a timing mechanism. Even if you look at the chart, um, it looks like you're measuring somebody's heart rate and it's very hard to figure out how you'd react from this. But again... The, the survey currently is showing a very neutral stance. So if I, Trevor, am on this podcast telling you that I'm not having the same feeling of a lot of the folks I'm talking to, maybe it is that I'm contrarian in nature, and I'm feeling that this is a pretty neutral moment. The next place that I went, um, which I think a lot of investors are fam- familiar with, is PE ratios. Um, it's like, hey, let's look at history. And historically, how many dollars in stock price did you have to pay for every dollar of earnings? Well, we can zoom in and we know, going back to that tech bubble, that was the peak for the United States where uh, stocks were trading at you know 40 times earnings on average. Uh, what was the result of that? The lost decade. So again, not a timing mechanism, but when you look at PE ratios, uh, they can give you a general idea is... Are things cheap or expensive right now? Yeah, P ratio is helpful in that aspect, but it, you also want to separate. Um, there's a couple other factors as far as interest rates, borrowing rates for some companies, and then just different asset class or sectors to begin with, because uh, the market as a whole may trade at 20 times earnings, but that doesn't mean that all stocks are. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it goes back to our idea of sample size is that you're just trying to get a blend. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the whole market, you can compare the whole market to what itself historically. But Sean hit the nail on the head. 
if you zoom in on industry or company, um, that metric can mean a very different thing. You also have to contextualize it to your landscape. Um, Post-financial crisis, we've been in a a historical moment where interest rates are extremely low. So right now, when you look at PE ratios at maybe 20, uh, is that greater than the average that's been around 16 or 17? Yes. Does that mean the market is expensive? My answer is no. And I'm saying that because we've spent the last eight years above this certain multiple, and we have created... Again, let me say this differently. You can craft an argument to say when interest rates are lower, you can have higher multiples based on uh, investors allocating more to risk assets um, because of their needs of returns, and that can drive multiples up. So we looked at the investment survey, and again, this is my opinion, but I'm saying, okay, it's neutral. I'm pretty neutral too. Uh, We look at PE ratios. uh, Are they really, really cheap? No. Are they really, really expensive? No. Like, like I said, this is kind of a lower point um, besides the moment of uh, December 2018 where we've been over the last eight years or so. So for me as an investor, this isn't stoking a lot of fear. Now, we're only two indicators in, but again, I'm starting to craft this idea of like, this is a pretty neutral moment for me. Don't forget your uh, Japan example. Yeah, it, it's a perfect example. I, I didn't pull the exact multiple, uh, but uh, they put our tech bubble multiple to shame. Uh, where we continued with the lost decade, um, they continued with the lost decades. Plural. Plural. 30 years. Right. Um, so it is to be said that, um, and I say it on this podcast all the time, uh, your starting multiple is a really good predictor of your future returns. So if you walk into the stock market trading at north of 30 and 40 times earnings, um, that is going to have a big, big impact on what your future expected returns are. Makes sense. Are we going into the anecdotes section now? Yeah, lead it up. I uh, I misread this at first, and maybe it's because of that meme you sent me of the Ric Flair, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of an inside joke. If, if a client's listening, you can definitely ask. But uh the water cooler conversations of other advisors, uh, it, it is interesting when you hear, you know, oh, I, we all have client review today. And I bet we can almost guess, if we got three guesses, what like the major topic was going to be. And most of the time, those tie into uh, like uh, what, uh, maybe a headline or something that's really top of mind for most investors. And uh, I, I'm starting to, now that I've been an advisor, I don't know, eight years, nine years, I'm starting to like see a, a rhythm where you, you can almost guess what the conversation is going to be about. And then if you know the person or the personality, you can almost guess what they're worried about, why, and uh, it's just interesting. It's almost bad that you can guess, though, because uh, it gets in the way of being a good listener. Because uh, yeah. you're just you're like, oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you're just predicting. But what Sean's saying there is one of the sections I included here, uh, I, I just called it advisor anecdotes, is, okay, uh, both Sean and I, I would assume on even just a normal day, we're talking to a half a dozen clients or investors, um, and then we're sharing lunch and talking to each other. So imagine, you know, if John talks to five or six clients and I talk to five or six clients and Drew talks to five or six clients and Nate talks to five or six clients, we can then get to the round table uh, and we have, again, pretty robust sample size. Now amplify that by many work days over time, you start to kind of surface what those themes are. And 
I don't have a perfect way to say this. And I, I think I can be accused of, uh, um, I don't think people would like to hear what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. I, I think it's worth it is when I start hearing those themes, I actually want to take the other side of the trade. Um, where so many people are negative about something. I, I'm not saying purely negativity uh, is, a, is a great investment thesis, but in, in time, I've used that as like a, a general client indicator that says, oh, things are probably going to get a little bit better. And I took a risk. In the article, I specifically called out an allocation that uh, is a blemish in many portfolios and gets a whole lot of focus, and that's emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not making advice or recommendations, but I will tell you that my paradigm as an, as, as an investor myself, I am extremely curious what emerging markets look like over the next five years because the, the amount of unlovedness that they have right now and how much that dominates some of our conversations – dominate some of our conversations when it doesn't even dominate like the size of an allocation in a portfolio. Right. I am extremely curious. And again, I'm purposely saying curious because I'm not taking a stance, but I am really curious on what those next five to 10 years look like for emerging markets. That's a really good example because I think, um, and I think I've said this exact thing before on one of your podcasts. So I'm sorry listeners, but it is true that if you have a diversified portfolio, and even in uh, the dividend portfolio, there's going to be companies in different sectors that maybe underperform others. You're always going to find one position in your account that you go, why do we own this? Should we sell it? I don't want this. Why do I have a loser? I want winners. And I'm saying that because I've heard those exact words on a client review this week. And uh, it it actually is kind of a red flashing light that like, this isn't advice, but you know, it's that's why you rebalance because the, the loser that no one wants to own is probably the one you should own going forward. Not because of reversion to the mean, but just because valuations do matter. And, uh, and if you do look at a sample size large enough, you know, like you mentioned five years, yeah, I'd be curious to see that too. If there's any finance geeks listening, I can even zoom in on the reasoning of that. When something becomes unloved, we just talked about market multiples. Those multiples get really, really low. Um, and when those multiples get low, that means the sentiment is just extremely negative. So most of the time when you see recoveries from those positions, which is kind of like the, the thesis for value investing, um, you see a light recovery in earnings, you see an extreme recovery in multiples. Mm-hmm. So, and what is that? Is It's that shift in sentiment. Something unloved um, is now, oh, I'll deal with it to, oh, it's really attractive. Oh, that's kind of interesting. And you kind of even see that with energy stocks, um, which, you know, they've just been beaten battered for a fairly long time. And now people are like peak curiosity. There's some fun flows there. And um, again, it's it's an easy example that you can see happening live right now. And most of the time things become more attractive when they do better. And so if you're participating in that recovery uh, from a lower price... And then people are finding interest when it's doing well, then money's added, flows come in, and it's it's kind of the never-ending p- pendulum, but that's when you see it on the upside, where then your barber's telling you you should buy it, and then maybe you should sell it. And then I'm out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here, we'll touch on one quick area, and then I'll close this out because I do want to be respectful of Sean's time. Um, one other area I included here I called what's the spread. Uh, we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, credit spreads are just ways of looking at, hey, in, in finance, we call the risk-free rate government treasuries. 
Um, we call high yield bonds junk bonds, and we try to say, hey, what is the difference between those two? Uh, how much extra interest do you yield on a junk bond versus a treasury? Uh, when all is good and everyone's happy and they love risk, those spreads are tight. And um, when everyone's fearful and running for the door, those spreads are wide. Uh, and I talk about it in the article. Um, right now, those spreads are a little bit above average, um, which would, again, if you're using one indicator, that typically would be a buying indicator. So again, some of these you're seeing a yellow light. Some of these you're seeing uh a green light, um, what it leads to me in my conclusion, which I encourage you to go read the article, is that this is a pretty neutral point right now. Um, but if you um, limited yourself just to the news feed and just to the headlines, you're going to get a flashing red light that says run for the exits right now. Um, but I don't think the data supports that. Um, again, not Trevor making a, an estimate on what the next six months look like or anything like that. Uh, but that does help me sleep at night. Um, and there have been times in my advisor career where um, I was up in the middle of the night being like, oh, this doesn't look good. This doesn't feel good. This doesn't seem good. This isn't one of those moments. I think we're forgetting one of the most important parts, though, that uh, financial planning and just owning stocks in general um, shouldn't have a six-month time horizon. Uh, you have no business owning these things if you need that money in six months. 100%. And uh, we'll close with this. Um if you want to uh, get frustrated with the last six months, I'm going to encourage you to expand your view to include 18 months uh, and take you know 2021 and uh, top that on to, to right now. And I think your paradigm will be a little bit different. Definitely. So a uh, good place for us to stop. We appreciate you joining us. We'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. All comments are welcome. You can email Sean or me, Trevor, at very easily email T-O-M, Tom, at thebonsagroup.com. Um, we, again, really, really appreciate you listening, uh, all your comments, questions, um, anything you got. Welcome to Send Over, uh, and we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. 
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.